We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And it's funny to have such a peaceful offseason, D. So striking that even with guys like Damian Lillard and James Harden out there, the Lakers are not involved in any rumors or anything like that. It's been peaceful waters, which is such a, a different place to be than we've been in quite a long time. And one of the things we were just talking about off air that we decided to carry on to it is this is a deep team. And the, the depth of the team, I think, gives Darwin a degree of optionality that he didn't have at the beginning of last year. And sometimes having more choices isn't always the best thing. Now, it's better to have more choices than to have your hand forced, for sure. But I think we're going to learn about a lot about um, Darvin's proclivities and what he'd like to do now that he has more options at hand. And these are good problems, certainly, but I think they're worth having some discussions about. So yeah, man, this is a, a pretty deep team that can do a few different things. It's interesting. The The optionality, I think, is um, definitely a thing like one through four. Good point. I'm interested to see what happens with like the 14th roster spot still and whether or not that's a player who can play, quote unquote, that will play into the depth idea, but it will also help determine what sort of optionality does exist. Yeah, the equation totally changes, D, if like our, we have our current roster, which we really like, but Anthony Davis gets hurt. All of a sudden, Jackson Hayes is your starter. You don't have anything behind that. You know, like things get very complicated very quickly at that spot. It's hard to play two bigs when you only have two bigs. Like it's hard to play two big lineups, yeah. I should say. So one of the reasons why Anthony Davis played so much power forward the year that the Lakers won the championship was because they had two viable other centers who at the time, Frank Vogel felt comfortable as starting quality players, right? Now, Frank Vogel's vision of what a starting player was might be different than what Darvin Ham's um, idea of what a starting player is, right? Because Darvin yes. actually viewed his starters as, no, you're going to be a 20-plus minute guy. We don't have necessarily token starters. That 
That became more of a thing like in the playoffs, I think, with Vanderbilt especially. Um, His utility diminished. But the idea was Darwin's like – I want to pick a starting group and I want to stick with them. And it got to the point where by the end of the playoffs, he had changed his starting lineup multiple times in order to get to those lineups for longer stretches. This is a really important point because the trade deadline happens. We're, we were scratching and clawing all year. It was such a remarkable season last year. I'll always remember last year on, on a few different levels. Um, but we were scratching and clawing to a degree that we won't be at the beginning of this season. So this will be the first time we watch a group that is not in that type of position. But from a coach's perspective, Darwin had to be like, hey, we got to find a group that works and we got we to gotta stick with it, right? Like it might not be the best five that we could possibly get, but there's a certain amount of trial and error that has to occur to arrive at that best five that we didn't have the time to make mistakes that would cost us games. You know what I mean? And so I think that this offseason, the way the playoffs went, gave a, a great, I think, view of what works and what doesn't and why, at least a taste of it. And now Darwin does have that time. And so I think exploring that is is going to be important. But last year, we did not have that that luxury with a very similar group of players. Well, last season, too, there were, at least at the beginning of the season, there were the politics of everything of like managing the Russet situation, mm-hmm. too, right? And so it was the idea of building out a lineup based off of what the head coach thought was the best role for very specific players and then creating a starting lineup off of that and then playing yeah. the pop. I don't want to call it the politics, but the the playing to the personalities of the players to help them to facilitate getting the best out of them, particularly with Russ, right? Yeah, well, and, and even on the court, like Russ, like this was a really central to my argument the, the whole time Russ was here was like, you have Russell Westbrook on the team, whether you wanted him or not, you're going to have to play a certain way when he's on the floor, right? Like he, that's what I mean about having Darvin's hand forced to a certain degree yeah. that it is not the case anymore. Yeah, and, and so that optionality is to me it's it's less right now within the context of building out these two big lineups and this idea of Anthony Davis potentially going back to power forward four stretches i currently don't see a lot of avenues for that it's going right to depend so much on that this, 14th guy right yes and and that's why i was saying too can that 14th guy play cuz if he can't play then we actually do have a better sense of like what the vision of the lineups will look like or can look like, but the optionality that exists within, are we playing two smaller guards? Are we playing multiple wings and forwards? Are Like, where does Vanderbilt fit? Does he start? Does he come off the bench? Like, is, because these ideas need to play out over time and trying out these different combinations is is super important, but some of that is already forced based off of the idea of, well, you actually don't have the bigs to say, like, we are going to play bigger, which then might push a forward out of the rotation. Like, right. Like there's a there's a domino effect. So since that 14th guy hasn't been signed, what does he need to be in order to facilitate quality two big lineups specifically. Let's talk about Wenyon for a second. Wenyon's currently unsigned. 
I think he's going to play in the World Cup for South Sudan. Shout out to Wenyan. A lot of guys don't go and play in these sorts of tournaments without a contract, but Mm -hmm. maybe Wenyan is going to use this as a springboard to get a contract somewhere. And Wenyan is a name that that we're familiar with, and he's also a certain prototype of a player that, that I think fits into this idea a little bit. I trust Wenyan to play a rotation role on this Lakers team. If Jackson Hayes didn't exist, Wenyan would be the backup center. Sure. And in the regular season, at the very least. That, and that's, yes. he's somebody who's been very good in the regular season for us. And, and so let's just plug him on to this roster really quickly. And he's now the 14th guy. To me, Wenyan is a player that if you have another center who you trust to play on both sides of the floor, and this is where like the Thomas Bryant question became a thing because it became increasingly clear that TB was not trusted as a defensive player, um, even though he was providing like high level effective offense. If you have three bigs who you trust to be defensive players and then serve varying levels or have varying levels of utility offensively, then you can start to build out two, two big lineups. Wenyan to me fits into that mold. Right. And so that's where you then adapt for Anthony Davis's versatility and say, well, this dude can play forward, essentially. Right. And be in different spots of the floor next to a Jackson Hayes or next to a Wenyan Gabriel. And we know AD fits next to Wenyan Gabriel. Look at the plus minus for the Lakers when both of them were on the court. Right. And so if you bring in a 14th player like that, that can then trigger things where maybe you have to lose forward minutes for someone who you're anticipating getting minutes at the forward position, either the three or the four, in order to accommodate Anthony Davis playing at the four a little bit more. And that's where the depth questions um, start start to come into play because to me, they have enough depth to play all of these forwards if you only have single big lineups, if that makes sense. And so there's a lot of exploration here for Darwin, but there's a pivot point there with who the 14th guy is, which can, I don't want to say throw a monkey wrench into thing, but add another variable that he has to consider when building out lineups. Well, and I think that's exactly what the 14th player should be is very much considered within the context of everything else, right? It's easy in these kind of conversations to break down the player's game and view them through a vacuum, but arguably this position more than any other on the roster or any other guy that we've signed is somebody that I think it's important for them to fit into the team. Like the one time uh, Rob Palinka spoke about this on record, he talked about having, uh, about dimensionalizing the position, right? Like not having repeat type of guys. And so in that spirit, it's very easy to think like three point shooting as the first thing. And I think that that's probably top of the list, right? My, one of my core arguments I could break down to a very simple sentence about what I think we need in that spot is I don't think that Anthony Davis should be the strongest player on the team. You know what I mean? Like, I think we should have one guy who's stronger than AD if for no other reason, again, we're talking about the 14th spot, right? But if for no other reason, so that AD doesn't have to wrestle with the Steven Adamses and the Jonas Valanciunas's every game for 82 games, I think that that 
will not just it's not just an injury thing. I think that that will help his offense. Right. It's a sort of help me help you type of situation. And I just think that if we had one guy like to me, Jackson Hayes is the athlete that can move his feet, that can catch lobs and run the floor. And if you want to go two big lineups, but still be able to switch everything like that, I'm super excited about that, about that idea of Hayes and AD. But you don't have to be running a drop. So you've got all this size, but you still kind of break down their screening game like that's great. I would just like another, the other guy to compliment Hayes in that way defensively. I think that is what the ability to play a lot of two big lineups kind of hinges on is that if we have, it's more about like collecting the set for lack of a better yeah. term, right? Yeah. And this is where I think a piece to add on to that is like, you don't want that player to have to be LeBron James yes. or Rui Hachimura. Right. Because they were the players who defaulted to those roles last season. Um, it was LeBron who took big minute defensive possessions on Jokic, for example, or Rui got the bulk of that responsibility. By the end of that Denver series, he was asked to be the primary defender on Jokic on a lot of possessions. And that's the highest possible mountain to clear, right? Is talking about who are you going to get to defend Nikola Jokic and the 14th player on the roster isn't the answer it. to that. That's right. right. That's but, right. And that's not, and that wasn't the premise that you used to set up this, this discussion anyway, but it's that idea of, well, we want this player on the roster and we are getting him because we don't want it to have to be LeBron or we don't want it to have to be Rui, that's an important distinction that that I think is, is a part of that. But it's another part of this, and, and I sort of want to pivot the discussion here, is getting back to that idea of depth and the forwards especially, because you only have 240 minutes or whatever to divide amongst your roster, and 48 of those are at center and another 48 of those are at power forward and another 48 of those are at small forward. But the Lakers, the type of offense that the Lakers run is it's difficult to say, well, that small forward position is actually like a forward, right? He is mm. a wing. Mm -hmm. And so you're really looking at 96 minutes of like, a particular type of skill set that you're that you're targeting and i'm interested in how the depth on the roster bounces up against that idea of only having 96 minutes or so to play with at those spots especially when you look at the concentration of talent at the four and five spot with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which is a thing that we talked about ever since they got those 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 two. And to me, this has only gotten more pronounced as LeBron is aged. When AD first came, LeBron was really like this do it all perimeter player. And now he is becoming more and more of um, a power forward who handles the ball some mm -hmm. rather than a guard who can capably play center. Yeah. Right? He's just like, like one of those guys, like LeBron, whatever our problem is, go fix it. Right. Which AD yes. is one of those guys too. And so when you have two of them, you can fix a lot of problems. But now to me, that's less so Agreed. the case. And the, and the construction of this roster is dictated that they're not going to be 
those guys. You don't have an Austin Reeves and a D'Angelo Russell and a Gabe Vincent. You don't invest in that way in the guard positions mm-hmm. only to then say, well, yeah, let's give the ball to LeBron James and let him yep. be the lead ball handler for 85% of the possessions. This isn't the 19, the 2019-20 formula where you're starting non-ball handling guards next to LeBron James so that he could be the fulcrum of your perimeter offense. That's just not what it's going to be anymore. And so LeBron is eating into those forward minutes in a way that he wasn't two or three seasons ago. Mm-hmm. And AD is now almost playing, he played like 99% of his minutes at center last season. And so that's 35 or that's 33 to 37 minutes a night at center, right? And so what does that mean then for Rui? What does that mean then for Jared Vanderbilt? And then as a trickle-down effect, what does that mean for Torian Prince? And what does it mean for three-guard lineups, right? Which cooked during that stretch of the regular season when LeBron was sitting out with injury, but it was AD and Vando and and um, Rui as your forward combination, right? There was so much to deal with. <laughs> and, and But now the team is deep. We haven't even talked about the idea of Cam Reddish or Max Christie or how all of that plays into things. And it's like, oh my goodness, this team has... 10 or 11 viable mm-hmm. guys who could really compete for a rotation spot. And at the top, you mentioned good problems, but it's not always a good problem when we know the math says that yep. it's a nine man rotation that is likely best to get you through any given NBA game. And that you, but you want 11 guys who can play, but you can't have 11 guys expecting to play because that's when things get tricky. And so why don't we go to break here, Pete? And on the other end, take that in any direction you want. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So, you know, that that gif of Paul Rudd where he's like, look at us. Right. That's how I feel <laughs> yeah. about you and me right now, man. We're talking about, oh, man, we just got too many forwards and not enough minutes. You remember the conversations we were having about the forward position yeah. a year ago? Yeah, I do. Man, it's nice. And I think that what you I did this exercise trying to divvy up the 240 minutes. Now, mind you, and this I hear the the voice of my Trudell in my head saying there's going to be a certain amount of attrition that the, and Lord knows we've learned this last couple of years, the on paper roster that you have is rarely going to be available in its entirety, right? Although I'm hoping we catch a little bit of good luck. Like, can we not be the, have like the fewest minutes of every, of any five man group, like in the whole league for a third year in a row? Like, can we be like 20th this year instead in terms of continuity instead of 30th? I digress. But I think everything that you explained right there, D, is part of the Rui at the three idea and that it sort of like pushes him down to that spot, right? If that if LeBron is more of a four on really on both ends, I think, than than ever before. And AD is eating up all of these minutes at center. You've got Vando. Like you said, there's we just gave Rui a, a pretty decent sized contract. I think that what comes with that is the expectation of playing a decent amount of minutes, right? Like we're going to want to invest if we're investing that amount of money in a, in a guy and it's backed by performance too. Right. And for me, the idea of Rui at the three, I think we'll end up doing a a whole pot about this at some point, but I think I'm more into it than you and Mike have, have seemed to be in part, because I think it's more in the context of a starting lineup. Again, this is him starting at the three, not just playing the three, but starting there in that like, Who's the worst offensive player in that group? I understand the defensive concerns, but if you if you've got D'Lo, Austin, Rui, LeBron, and AD, almost every team in the NBA has one guy that they would kind of want to prefer to hide on defense. Sure, yeah. Who, who do you hide him on? You know, and I also don't think that that means Vando doesn't have to play. I think he could play because Vando's even last year was still a two shift guy. He was that, that token starter, that two shift type of player that even though he started, it was still 16 minutes, 18 minutes, right? I think he can still get those type of minutes and still be valuable as the type of defender that he was last year. Those guys that, that Vando guards play in the middle of the game too, you know? And I think his game is kind of more conducive to the wraparound portion of the game where it's a little bit more wide open type of basketball. I think that that fits his style. Um, So it's not a matter of like reducing Vando's minutes, but I think that in that starting group, that Rui in that starting group, it creates some significant problems that Vando in that group offensively kind of gives you an escape hatch defensively that Rui just, it's the totally opposite problem. No, those, those are good Good points. My pushback on Rui as a starter is the law of diminishing returns when it comes to offense and usage and the the boxing in of players defensively when you do not have enough defensive versatility on the floor. Right. So let's start with the offensive point. You're totally right. The other team would look at that sort of lineup and say, who are we going to hide? our worst defender on. We can't hide him on Rui necessarily. If he's a smaller guy, Rui will take him inside and, or we can't hide him on D'Lo necessarily because then we'll just put D'Lo in pick and rolls or he's a spot up shooter and this is that and the other. But the Lakers don't necessarily run a utilitarian offense. They don't 
do what the Warriors do. They're not running a bunch of guys around off of screens and they're not running the triangle over here where everyone's going to get a touch here and there. And you're occupying guys in ways where everyone is, is engaged all, all of the time. And the guy who gets the shot is the guy who's open and we're working all of these actions in order to get to the open guy. My concern with starting guys, all of them who have an appetite for usage and who can be efficient with usage is that there is only one ball and you're not going to be able to optimize all of them in ways where you're actually taking advantage of the fact that there is a guy who is attackable, right? And, and so like maybe in the playoffs, when each possession like ramps up so much where it's like, oh, the value of this is so high. Like we need to target the weakness every single time. And, and I'm, I mean, this is going to sound, sound harsh, but in some ways, the way that like Denver went after D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Right. It, it, it was just like, oh, no, you you're the guy who we're going to go at. Yes. And so even if that means Bruce Brown is now right, like we're going to use that in order to like bludgeon you. A little bit. The regular season to me doesn't play out that way. And I'd much rather lessen the need to sort of diversify early on in order to give guys a bigger plate. Right. Like like it's say like, no, Rui, actually, like, I don't want you standing in the corner while we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and, and Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, like I want these guys to handle the ball more. Like, like I want their usage up. And so how do you, how do you envision that usage pie being divided when the goal is to actually like cook the other team? Sure. So I think we found our point where we go in different directions is I do want Rui standing in the corner off of the ball. You know, that, that video I did on him, if you, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, it's on the Lakers YouTube page. My fundamental argument that I'm that I'm making uh, in it is that he really found his niche as an off-ball spot-up type of guy, and he's he's super interesting as a spot-up player because despite the fact that he's the leading three-point shooter in NBA history right now in the playoffs, he's sure. <laughs> he's a below-average three-point shooter for a perimeter player, uh, like four out of ten. He's not not a bad three-point shooter, but he shot like 30% with us last year from three in the regular season before the, the the big playoff run. He's like average, slightly below average at just a simple catch and shoot. I would argue that he's actually pretty good when he's got when he's getting his shot and it's not like kind of dictated by the defense, but more dictated by the offense and somebody got him open. And so this is actually why I like Rui playing with really talented guys is that I think it puts him in his more natural role. So even though he's kind of average or below average at the, at the spot up, he's elite at like the attacking the closeout, whether it's getting all the way to the rim or that one dribble pull up, like he's super high end at both of those things. And so even though he's like, eh, okay, as a three point shooter, when that total package of playing that role of being in the corner and okay, you're either going to close out short to Rui. And if Rui gets his feet under his legs under him and a clean look, he's going to knock that down pretty well. Or if you attack hard, like he's really great at that. And so that to me, D is, is that idea of, I actually think Rui thrives is in that role of being an off-ball sure. player. Yeah. And He's going to get plenty of those chances throughout the course of the game. It doesn't necessarily need to be like at the start of each half, 
right? And so the same point that you were making about Vando and those guys play in the middle of the game too, like, yeah, and Rui's going to get plenty of chances to play next to LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis or even in lineups with Austin Reeves and LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis. I think there's a point, though, for me at least, where a fifth usage guy where it's it's like one guy too many. I, I totally basically. get that. I think the 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 I think the key to it is like, are you an on ball player or an off ball player? You know, sure. and I think and that all five that aside from Le- LeBron and AD, both of whom of course play off ball exceptionally, but they're kind of the the main guys, of course. Austin, D'Lo, and Rui can all be really lethal as off ball players in ways where if you put three ball handlers together, I think that can be clunky in ways that this isn't. No, 100%. And again, it's a matter of like feeling it out. And I'm not saying it can't work or or it won't work because I honestly think that some of the Lakers' best lineups last season had Dennis and Rui next to Austin and LeBron and, and AD. And all of them had a certain on-off-ball u- like utility in combination that is really strong, right? I think my bigger argument though on Rui not necessarily starting isn't on the offensive side of the ball and my usage concerns. It's on the defensive side side of the ball and, and in conjunction what moving Vando out of the starting lineup potentially does to his role in competition then with the other forwards that are on the roster, particularly with Prince. Yeah. Right. So let's start with just, the defensive versatility piece. Rui is a guy who only guards certain types of dudes yep. to me. He, in fact, some of his best defensive possessions were against actually bigs who were stretch bigs, who were high usage stretch bigs. So he had some of his best defensive possessions against Carl Towns and against Julius Randle. Mm-hmm. Those to me were two like, archetype of players where Rui was like, I'm str- I'm just as strong as I- I'm as strong That's as I right need there. to be yep. in, in, in order to deal with your bully ball tactics. But I have foot speed and length in order to deal with your size and quickness. The way that the way that you normally Julius Randall or Towns cook a defender, That's right. you can't cook me. No, I'm too big and I'm too, too agile to be able to, to do that. Yep. As you scale down in size and ball handling and quickness, Rui's utility defensively declines with it, right? It's one of the reasons why against the Warriors, Warriors, he was simply not as good against the Warriors. And the Lakers actually did not have to face a bunch of teams who had players in this archetype. So they didn't play the Clippers in the Mm -hmm. playoffs where it's just like, okay, go guard Kawhi. Yeah, he'd be helpful there. Yep, yep. Right? Like, he'd be helpful against Kawhi. I'm not sure if he'd be as helpful against Paul George. (laughs) That's right. Right? That's right. Or Brandon Ingram, right? Where it's just like, oh, you're a ball ball screen using big wing. And Vando's great on him. See, I'm not so sure that that Rui can guard a B.I. Um, He can't, is what I'm saying. Oh, I I misunderstood. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm saying that his utility against those guys goes down. And Mm -hmm. he'll never ever be put on a clay thompson 
or a well, he or was a speedy guard. He was, and that remember Clay started out that series giving us thirty five, yes. <laughs> like pretty much every night. That was one of the reasons why, as Rui was trying to chase him around, and it did not work out for us. So Rui's versatility is not as high as I'd want mm-hmm. when you put him in lineups next to D'Angelo Russell and to a certain extent, Austin Reeves. So mm-hmm. Austin, to me, he can guard point guards and shoot shooting guards and not every point guard. I think he can guard most every shooting guard effectively enough. Um, there are some, there are some who will give him problems, mm-hmm. but my concern is you start to lock guys in with that sort of starting lineup. They don't have that other Swiss army knife guy as LeBron's defensive versatility also declines. And you don't have even necessarily want them to have to guard some of these other guys. Right. And so AD can do anything defensively. LeBron can do almost anything, but you don't want to have to ask him to do everything. It's not appropriate for this stage of his career, but Rui can do one or two things. Mm-hmm. D'Lo can do like one, mm-hmm. and one and a half things. And sometimes a half a thing. Right. And Austin can do one or two things in terms of like positional versatility or types of players that you can guard. Vando to me is that guy is just like, Oh, Stick him on a point guard this game to allow D'Lo to do this other thing. Stick him on a power forward who might be a stretchy guy who's more rangy so that LeBron can go rest on this other dude. Stick him on the primary big wing, screen using, ball handling wing so that LeBron can guard the beefier power forward. Mm -hmm. To me, you want that defensive versatility with that group of starters. Because offensively, you have enough with those guys. And I'm looking for balance on both sides sides of the floor. Does Vando's offensive utility being kind of where it is on the totem pole make the ask harder for some of these guys offensively or cramp the floor? Or Yes, it does. I get it. And it's weird to say, well, your starting lineup may only be plus six or plus seven per 100 possessions. And you've got a lineup in here that might be plus 11 or plus 12 or Mm -hmm. plus 13 per 100 possessions. Like it's just sitting there. Why aren't you doing that? But it's the composition of what gets you (laughs) plus 13. That is interesting to me. And it's why I would formulate my lineups a certain way. So let's talk some numbers while we're on the subject. Um, and these are just just pulled from the playoffs. And so <laughs> perfect segue about that. Like, ah, you have this lineup data, but it's in small samples. Why don't you just do this? But I think it also the numbers I'm about to read also speak to your point about the defensive issues, but also supports my argument. So here it goes. The lineup with those four and Vando in it played 177 minutes in the playoffs. And so this is this is high leverage basketball. Defensive rating of 108.9, offensive rating of 111. So a net rating of plus 2.1. If any five-man lineup that has both LeBron and AD in it, that has a decent sample in it, has close to a zero net rating, I'm going to give it a little bit of side eye. You know what I mean? Where it's like, there's something about this group. If you got both LeBron and AD on the floor and you're just a little bit better than the opposition or right around net neutral, there's something somewhere that I think you could be doing better, particularly on a roster that's as talented as I think this one is. 
Now, so that's a plus 2.1 net rating for the Vando group. The Rui group in just 32 minutes has a higher defensive rating. So 110.2, nothing to write, write home about really there. Their offensive rating in just 32 minutes is 154.7. And so I think both in a mini tiny sample that I don't want to argue you know, too heavily that we should weight it. But I think along with the idea, what I'm arguing, D, is that I think that I, that group sends the offense into outer space, you know, where sure. you can like you create such massive problems that you just have to be like average on defense. And everything you said about the reduced versatility on defense, I think it probably means that you start out Austin on the point of attack guard, whoever their main ball handler is on the other team. That's a guard. Rui has to guard a forward. He's not like Vando, like you said, where it's like, oh, go guard Ja. That's not happening. Or a Clay Thompson, you know, much more limited. But I think that you can get by, particularly with the Austin part in that like Austin's going to do his job and he's solid at, as a point of attack guy to where if the offense is unstoppable and the defense is all right, I think that the net of that is, is really going to work out for you. And so it's one of those things to me that it works both in theory and in a very small sample size. I'd like to see us at least try it. And if it doesn't work, we can go back. That's one of the things we have the luxury with now in terms of how we're starting this season. We can try things like this and it not cost us on the way to a, a playoff run in a way that like you're scratching and clawing the way we were last year. Yeah, I'm not convinced the offense is going to be anywhere close to that good, obviously. Well, of course, like, yeah. Part of that is baked in that Rui shot like 50% on threes. Sure, and that's not um, going to happen over the course of 82. Yeah, it's like it's tricky to me, man. I look at the Western Conference and I see, I see all of these teams with all of these ball handling dynamic perimeter players. And I look at a starting lineup that has Rui... And Austin and D'Lo as your three primary perimeter defenders. And I'm just like, it just concerns me. It just concerns me that you're not going to that as your utility falls on one side of the ball, it makes the other side of the ball harder. Right. And, and so and you could argue the same thing about like what the why the why the Vando group was only like plus two point whatever. It was right. It's because like they weren't scoring at the rate that they right. needed to score at in order to have the other team play against a set defense where Vando's skill then becomes even more important. Right. I worry that if the Lakers are playing, it's one like if you've got a 110 defensive rating, like, oh, great. Right. That's allowing us to play enough against a defense that isn't set. To mm -hmm. then say, well, guess what? Now we're in transition and we've got these big athletes and you're running against this and now you're trying to close out or run in a certain way. And nope, Rui's beat you and he's getting to to the basket or Austin and D'Lo are deep corner and now it's swing, swing and they've got a wide open three. And that ability to sort of generate things then snowballs the other direction. I worry, though, that it's just like, OK, well. What are you doing on the nights that you have to defend Luka Doncic? What are you doing on the nights that you have to defend a uh, like a Brandon Ingram? What mm -hmm. are you doing on the nights where you have to defend both a Paul George and and a Kawhi Leonard? What are you doing on this night where you have to defend multiple guys and your three perimeter defenders are the three guys I mentioned before? Or LeBron, you go do it now. No, that's not an option. That's not on the table. 
which is why I didn't even mention him, right? And so I'm trying to build out the most balanced starting lineup, understanding that that's not the only lineup that's going to play. Right. Right. And so I'm more than happy to be a plus 30 net rating with that other group during a part of the game where who are they actually playing against in this part part of the game? And maybe you play them in the most highest leverage parts of the game, which is to close the second half and 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 to close the first half. Like there are ways to get to that group where you are maximizing them, which to me in the service of the entire group. You you also want to make sure that you're giving Vando the opportunity to play a get in the parts of the game where he's going to have the most impact for him within the context of the group as well. Sure. And I'm just not there yet with what you're proposing, even though I see the utility in it. I think that when Anthony Davis is on the floor, I think that you have a certain floor defensively that also you've got guys that will at least do their jobs and execute. Like I I can't push back too much on the defensive point. I certainly acknowledge that you give something back. I also think that the time of the game that we had the most problems in last year were that wraparound that I talk about, right? Like that end of the first, end of the beginning of the second quarter. And I think part of it is that's largely the LeBron group, that that's the point of the game where you need to surround LeBron with defenders. And so if you've got Vincent and uh, you've got Vincent and Max and Torian Prince, these are all plus defenders and Vando, you know, coming up off the bench. I think that that's something that you can have a bench unit there who their their identity is really as the defensive unit, whereas maybe the starters are this high octane offense that can get by enough on defense because you got freaking Anthony Davis on the floor, right? Um, the group that does not have Anthony Davis on the floor is when we get scored on a ton. And so I think that saving your best defenders for that group, I think there's an argument for that. To be continued, sorry, D, I got to keep this one under 40 for uh, <laughs> for, for GD's sake. Let us, let us keep the uh, Rui at the three discussion going because this was fun. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Danger's got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.